Welp, it's another episode with Wake Up with KC. And, you know, let me ask you something. What is it like to connect and have a language within your being a mindfulness, you know, being mindful of every aspect of your life? Well, today I came across someone that is very unique and special and helps those. And he's doing amazing things as a somatic mindfulness and communication coach. So please welcome Brett Hill. Brett, thank you for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for asking me. I'm curious, what is somatic mindfulness? Yeah, so that, so you can teach mindfulness to people, which is, you know, the practice of learning to be aware of your experience in several different ways. And when you do it somatic, the word means basically um, in the body. So um, it means paying attention to what's happening physically, emotionally, like let's say uh, a, a common question for a somatic coach might be, someone will say, well, you know, when I hear that or I'm thinking about doing something that I love to do, it just makes me feel really happy. And so a response I might have is, how, where do you notice? Do you have a feeling in your body about being happy? Goes, yeah, I feel like in my chest. So we'll lean into that. And by leaning into that, I mean, say, okay, I'd say like, so pay really close attention to what's happening in your chest. How does that feel? Well, it feels like I would just want to, it feels like it's opening and relaxing. You say, well, let's just pay really close attention to that and just see what wants to happen. So you make it body sensing is another way to say it. Um, and that makes it really real because it's not when it's when it's a body sense, it's happening in the moment. You're not thinking about it, right? Uh, and your your it's it just becomes very practical in that in that way and takes us out of our stories and takes you out of ideas and makes it really real. Well, wouldn't it be safe to say that um, to me it's like I learned this from a a great mentor of mine and his his quote his statement is um feelings is the language to the soul yeah so it's definitely in that direction it's sort of like feelings can come with a lot of different hmm, how should i say they can come, they can arise in your awareness a lot of different ways so mm -hmm. let's say someone walks in the room and um they look like somebody who used to you used to know who was really mean to you um, or conversely, who was really nice to you. Now, because your body is wired in a specific way, it's going to see that person and it's going to cue up the memory of that other person. You can't help it. That's just the way we it works. It's sort of like if if you know, have you ever like bought something? And then notice started to notice it everywhere that you see it. But I thought of something like yeah, like car and every, yeah. now everywhere I go, I see it everywhere, and I'm like, wow, exactly. That's, that's just the way the brain works, right? And you can't you can't stop that. But that doesn't mean that that thing is now showing up more in the world than it was before. It just means that you're noticing it more than you did before because your brain is a very sophisticated selection mechanism. You have all this stuff going on and it decides what's important for you to look at. And so someone walks in the room and they look like somebody who you had a previous experience with, whether good or bad, your brain is going to offer up that experience. And if you're not careful, you might think that this person, let's say that that person treated you really well, you might think, oh, I don't know why, but I really like this person. Now that's going to come up as a feeling. But in this case, it's actually just a memory. Right? Do you understand what I mean? Yes, I totally get it. Be and would it be safe to say that when you think of something or an, an experience something, energy, the energy in motion yep which is also connected to the feeling mm -hmm. is created and yeah. your body records it it automatically records it what you see what you hear what you experience you create an energy mm -hmm. which is energy in motion 
Yeah. So, right. So you're feeling that you're seeing that you're feeling that and you make a record of it too. So if you become aware of the fact that, oh, this person looks like the guy or the girl or however you identify as, as being part of your past, then you can go, oh, I don't really know this person, but I want them to be like this person that I knew in the past. I'm I'm wanting that to happen because that's my brain works. Your brain likes to have consistency. And so people who look like this, I think they treat me a certain way, but I don't really know. I'm going to notice that and then find out. And that way, and, and the point of this discussion, and it really is queued up by your question of, you know, how how to, uh, is it emotions? Is emotions soul? And they may be, and then sometimes it's just a memory. And so you want to land in what feels like it's authentic. And that's the tricky part. It's kind of like, what's really true for me? And that's really goes more to the soul level. Like what's, what do I light up about? What, what do I get excited about? And always have, and I'll tell you something I know about you from being uh, just being an intuitive sort of guy, because we were talking and you said, um, you're, you were talking about how curious you are and your curiosity. And there's something in your soul that really likes to dig in and understand things and get involved. And that lights you up. Now, would I be wrong if I said that to about you? You like nailed it, really. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like an inquisitive. And I, you know, I learned from Dr. Joe Vitale is because in a point in my life, I was just so fed up of having the same experiences like abuse, you know, the mm-hmm. mental abuse and like deep down inside me, I was like, there's something not right here. Yeah. It does not. Yeah. It's like, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't sound right. It doesn't even feel right, but I'm mm-hmm. experiencing this. And why am I this cycle happening? You know? Yeah. And then I was, you know, brought up in a religion aspect too. And there was a lot of confusion and contradictions. <laughs> contradictions and I'm like, well, that doesn't make sense. That I'm doesn't like, make yeah. sense. Right. right. So it was not knowing my true identity, my authenticity. Yeah. And experiencing everything I was experiencing and going, you know what? I've had enough. If this is all there is to life, I don't want to be here anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And guess what? It's not all there was, right? You found out more. I asked this question. I'm like, if the grass is greener on the other side from where I'm standing, then you show me I want the truth. And Good I was for you. so adamant. And I, and I like even telling you this story, I'm feeling that. So I'm how do you notice that in your body, right? So it's like, I can see it. You're so animated and you're so lit up as I, as I say, it's kind of like, and that's, that's where your source is, right? That's like, there's a part of you that just said, no, <laughs> this isn't right. <laughs> and that's what I call your organic native intelligence. It's like you're, you're, we're, we're born with this sort of, and some stronger than others, um, this sense of like, what's, what's right for me, you know? And it's sort of like a, the an analogy I use, a metaphor I use is like a plant, you know, will turn towards the sun as it goes, as the sun goes, because it it's just built in. It just mm-hmm. knows how. And so your built-in process is like, this isn't right. There's more than this. And I I want it. It's it's something I need. It's a part of who I am. And I and another thing I like about it is like there's this passion use like I will not be denied. <laughs> yeah. And I love that. <laughs> well thank you. But that's how my I guess you could say awakening started happening. I Precisely went on this that. journey. It, it's Precisely. like a spiritual awakening. And then exactly. I was finding truths because every time, you know, I asked a question, then it was like a piece of the truth came to me. And I was like, mm. oh, well, that makes sense. But what about the, 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 the? And mm. it, it's an ongoing thing. It has not stopped. No, it never does. Right. That's what they say about quote unquote enlightenment is like there's it's layers and layers. You know, it's like it's just like peeling the onion. So they say. Yes. It, that, there's some truth in that. It's like peeling the layers of the onion until mm. you get to the core, the core of you. Your Ooh, soul. Look at that. And I. <laughs> yes. 
And that's where freedom, that's where it's like yeah. a baptism. Beautiful. It's like all that old stuff just dies and then a new transformation happens. And then you discover like, wow, so <laughs> this is what it's like. And there's so much more. Yeah, beautiful. That's so beautiful. Lovely. And now I just have a, you know, from my own experiences, now I have a, a respect and the love for that experience. Now mm. I don't have any grudges or resentments or bitterness. And, no. you know, I really don't have to forgive anybody because I created it. I want yeah. to experience that so I can learn from it. Mm. And now the other part of that is now you just want that for other people. Yes. That's why yeah. I started this podcast and yeah, exactly. lighten yeah. people wake up like, yeah, yeah. Wake up, folk. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, I'm going to have a podcast. I'm going to call it wake up. <laughs> That's what I did during a pandemic. I was like, you know what? I think, it, and I just felt it. Mm, beautiful. That's like, so okay. You want me to do what? Oh, okay. <laughs> well, what do we do first? You know, cause I'm very detailed and organized and I'm like, come on. Help me out, <laughs> yeah. Guys. What's the first item on the checklist? <laughs> <laughs> right. So how did your journey start? Like when did you discover your passion in being a mindful mindfulness coach well i had sort of a spiritual journey as well and so i would say i came about mindfulness as a result of kind of lots of different efforts i had to also kind of do my wake up work and um i had some success with that work because i had some great teachers and so i started looking around at all these different ways i had learned to kind of be more present and more um, connected to a larger experience of life than I think perhaps a lot of people had. And not that I'm special, it's just that I was doing the work to make that happen, um, you know, through meditation and some martial arts and through some um, intentional living practices and contemplation. Um, that I, I kind of distilled it all down to the first door you have to get through in order to kind of, if you say wake up, to kind of become to the idea of who, what's possible for us in our lives is to become mindful. And by that, I mean, the door that opens when you really kind of use mindfulness in the way it was uh, intended to be used, I believe, is that you come to the understanding that you are not your thoughts. And whenever you, whenever that light bulb goes off, so many things become possible. Oh, um, yeah. And But nothing is possible until that thing happens. And so you might say, and I don't normally talk about this with, with guests and, or as when I'm a guest, but you might say I'm using mindfulness as sort of a subversive platform to help people wake up. And, and, and the way you do that is you, cause it's totally helpful in a million ways in your brain health and your relationships and your helps calm people down. They have less depression. They have more excitement. They have more creativity. It just really neurologically helps your brain um, function better. And so you have a better life. And you also can have this moment where you go, you know, I'm not my story about who I am. I'm not my thoughts that really what's going on in the world in my experience is more foundational than that. And that sounds kind of strange to say, but once you experience it somatically, then you, you your world is changed forever. I, I would agree with you on that. <laughs> and wouldn't you say, cause you said, you know, we're not our thoughts, but thought is creation. Well, it can it can be. It's like it it. There's this whole notion of like, um, you know, this uh, what is it called the the secret, you know, and all of that. The and I I align with that to a certain degree. Uh, thought can also just be a memory. You know, it's just neurons firing in your brain, and it's not actually I'm manufacturing an alternate reality. What you are manufacturing is an experience, and so the question is: Is that experience Conscious or unconscious, is it being manufactured? And most of the time, um, most a lot of our experience is not really very conscious. It's just sort of like being 
we're, our, your brain is offering an experience that it thinks is the best for you at any particular moment. And there's a lot of what they call biases that go into those experiences that we are generally not very aware of. And people don't like to be told that this is true. Um, but there's a lot of neurology coming out that shows all kinds of strange things. Like, let's say that you're, you're hiring some people for a job. There's a, there's a thing they call the proximity bias, and they can demonstrate that if someone lives closer to you or to where you work, that you'll tend to think that they're a better candidate than the other candidates just because of that. And so it's, it's just the way our brain works, and it's not, it's not a conscious thing. So there's all this unconscious, how should I say, our experience is shaped by a lot of unconscious activity. The practice of being mindful is to become more conscious of what you can be conscious of, because there's always stuff you can't be conscious of. So uh, it's just, but once you understand that this is how it works, it helps a lot. So you can't erase bias. And I don't mean bias in a negative way. I'm talking about neurological bias, um, uh, a predisposition. Uh, you can't erase it because the brain does that on purpose, but you can become conscious that that's the way it works. Well, what about, um, like, say, for example, that you experienced abuse, okay, and you go through, you go on with your life and, you know, you forget it. You just say, okay, you know, I got over it, whatnot. But then later on, that memory comes back that yeah. because you're experiencing something similar that brought in that same emotion or feeling, would that yeah. be considered a opportunity to like, Hey, we need to heal from this. Cause you didn't deal with it when it first happened. Now it's like coming to a, like, a right. Circle. That, yeah. That's so at, yes. To finally really let go of it. Cause you, you sort yeah. of say things like, you know what? I forgive them. And you know, I'm just going to go on with my life, but then you didn't deal with the emotion. Right. You have to work through it. This is the, the what you're talking about is like the onions we were talking about, right? Layers. Mm -hmm. Like you deal with it at the level you're able to deal with it in the moment. And then later the same issue comes back around and you have to deal with it in a deeper way. And, and inward. Inwardly, yeah. You have to you, it's not just you out there. It's kind of like I have to deal with this inside because obviously I didn't what do you might want to call it, clear it or or resolve my <clears throat> my feelings about it in a deeper way because I'm still feeling that uh, this has got me and I don't like it. And then when that kind of comes up, it's kind of like that's a clue that you're wounded in that area. And I mean, and I don't mean like wounded, like mortally wounded, but you know, we get scrapes and bumps and bruises and we get emotional scrapes and bumps and bruises too. And you can tell whenever you have a, a wound, so to speak in that area, because you're sensitive about it. You know, someone says something to you and you, you snap back in defensiveness. Well, usually that means that there's a wound or often it means that there's kind of a woundedness there that you're trying to protect. I mean, what happens when someone, when someone hits you on the arm and you've hurt your arm, what do you do? You pull it away. You go, no, don't touch that. It's the same thing. Whenever someone says something to you, you go, Hey, you know, don't, don't, don't poke me there because I'm sensitive. It's a, it's a, it's a sign that hmm, maybe I have something here that I need to, to deal with. Like a trigger. Exactly. Like a trigger. It's precisely a trigger. And it's not necessarily hard work to heal from them. It's just being mindful that, hey, I got triggered by this. I think I need to deal with this once and for all. So you don't have to repeat that experience again. Well, let's hope so. I mean, I, I in my experience, uh, the difficulty level is kind of a, 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 a gauge, right? Depending on what it is. In some cases, it's a small issue. In other cases, it goes pretty deep. The stuff, the wounds that have happened to us the when we were children, like, and I'm, um, those get into our systems in a deeper, more foundational way. You can think about it. The way I think about it is like, let's say you're building a, a, a 10 story building. And when you have a, when your, your brain is young, your neurology is young and you can think of it like where you're pouring the first couple of floors of the building. And if that gets built wrong, 
or I don't say wrong, but let's just say askew. And that would be like, let's say you have a parent who's abusive or someone telling you, well, you're not enough or you're too much or you better watch out and you can't, you can't be too excited because, um, you know, you're going to get disappointed. And so you, let's just use that one. So if someone learns, it's not okay for me to, to be excited about my life because I don't want to get disappointed. And, they, and it's not something they learned from experience. It's something that someone told them. So whenever they start to get outside and say, don't get excited, you're just going to get disappointed. And you go, oh, it's not okay for me to be excited. So they learn that whenever they feel this enthusiasm rising up in them, another feeling comes in. It's like, don't do that. You can't have that feeling. It's dangerous to have that feeling. Now, when that gets adopted at a very early age, that becomes like the first couple of floors. And then you go on in your life, adding more stories and more experience to your life. You get older, then you get to the top of the building and the top of the building's a little bit wobbly because the ground floors didn't get done right, well. And so you start to go, you know, this is kind of wobbly up here. And so getting down to the first and second floor to kind of redo that is harder work when you're older, when the wounds are younger. Versus something that happened to you on the eighth and ninth floor of the building. You see what I mean? Yeah. So, because you have to, when you're on the outer, or another way we're using the onion metaphor, when you're in the outer layers of the onion, things are a little bit better or easier than they are when you're in the core. Yeah, because then from understanding psychology and, and doing my research and everything, from the time you're a baby to about seven, your brain is like a sponge absorbing everything. And sometimes we experience traumas. Even yeah. a, We don't remember it because our brain is protecting us. And then you become an adult and then something so dramatic happens, it triggers. Yeah. Yeah. Even and that's in the like, a, a, like a mental breakdown. Even in the first six yeah. months, those traumas can happen and um, they can happen unintentionally. Parents can traumatize children unintentionally. There's a whole class of, of uh, issues that come up around what they call attachment disorders uh, in people around the way that infants are managed or not or, or handled or not handled or loved or physical connection and, and whether the child feels like it's getting nurtured and nourished in a in a routine and connected way, those things can have very, very big impacts on the neurology of a child um, way before words, way before, you know, walking. Um, and and, it, and they can have lifelong impacts. And, well, uh, so that's a whole even, new head. What about even in the womb? Well, because it's possible. Whatever the mother feels or is experiencing, that's energy, that's emotion. And that unborn child is experiencing it too. There's, there's, that is a line of thought that I tend to align with. Uh, the science around it isn't quite there, but it's sort of like there is definite impact. There's chemical, there's hormones, there's physical, you know, if a, a, a woman is walking around stressed all the time, that chemistry of stress is in her system. And we don't know what that does necessarily. Uh, but I feel like, uh, I mean, energetically and who I am, I totally get that. So I'm looking for the science to back it up because I believe that there is no conflict between science and spirituality. Well, they're, they all go and tangent together. Yeah. Because they're spiritual beings, sexual beings inside of a human being. Yeah. And my thing was, okay. Um, I was in my mother's room, but my mother was in her mother's room. And how far back does this emotional energetic traumas go back? Yeah, that's a whole new thing, generational trauma. And it's a, a really interesting field of uh, endeavor psychologically and otherwise. So, yeah, they're beginning to, to wonder is like, is it actually DNA encoded? You know, so there's they're figuring all this out. It's going to it's going to happen. You know, it's going to be like, oh, this isn't woo woo. Here it is in the Kim in the genome. You know, it's going to they're going to figure this out. Well, when I was pregnant, uh, you know, doctor says, you know, eliminate stress. Because they were like, you don't it's you have something developing and forming. You don't want to hinder the development. There could be complications later. So, you know, lower your stress level. <laughs> that And that, of course, was so relaxing to hear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, like, okay, how do I do that? I have this, right. this, like this, under this, no I, circumstances should you be stressed. <laughs> and okay. then, like, I'm a history buff, mm. so I go look at the recession. Look mm -hmm. at all the wars, mm -hmm. yeah. the civil war, and even further back, yeah. the women and, and men, all that stress passes on. And hey, look at us today. It's like we're repeating history, just different time period. Yep. That's the way it goes when you don't learn from your past. And I'm just like, we have to wake up now. This is, you know, enough. I'm at that point. Okay, y'all, it's enough. We need to mm -hmm. wake up from this. We don't have to live like this. <laughs> it's true. It's absolutely true. So when did you start your journey as a mindful coach? Well, um, I was a kind of a spiritual teacher when I was a young man and I was doing meditation um, training and um, teaching people meditation. And then like I, I wound up uh, encountering some fabulous training in uh, mindful, mindfulness-based somatic psychotherapy. And so I studied that for years. And then that led me into, uh, and then mindfulness kind of, when I started doing mindfulness-based psychotherapy work, and I'm not a trained, I'm not a certified psychotherapist, but I trained as one because they, at the time, there was no mindfulness programs in psychotherapy. There was just, it was just, it's all abnormal psychology, addiction, and, and you know, and I wasn't interested in, in six or seven years of studying that so that I could then just say, okay, now that I've got that stamp and I can go out and practice, now I can do what I want, which is mindfulness-based somatic work because that didn't exist at the time. And so um, mindfulness practices and mindfulness is a thing in the culture came into the popular lexicon, came into being, so to speak, uh, kind of around the mid late eighties, early nineties, it starts to be kind of a thing and now it's everywhere. And so I had already been practicing, you know, mindfulness pretty intensively by that time. And then I decided, you know, I'm just going to flip to, helping people learn to be more present with their experience because that's so foundational to everything. And it makes all these other conversations possible. If you know, if you want to be emotionally intelligent, which is a whole thing now, right? If you want to be um, awake, if you want to be, have better conversations, which is my other expertise is mindful communications. Um, and um, you know, if you want better intuition, if you want to be more successful, if you want to be a leader, if you want, to speak from your, what I call your embodied authority, all of those things depend on someone's capacity to be mindful. Wow. And who, can you name a few mentors that sure. just you were drawn to that has helped you on, along your journey of the mindfulness, the meditation? Well, yeah. Um, they're probably not people who, names that people have heard of, but they're out there. Uh, the guy I studied in a, a somatic framework called Hakomi, H-A-K-O-M-I. It's created by a man named Ron Kurtz, who had passed about, I think it's been 10 years now. Um, and I studied with him and his school called the Hakomi, uh, that was just the name of it. So amazing and so beautiful and so elegant. And I, uh, I actually discovered that because I was a wreck. Uh, I had had, uh, a relationship that just went that I was just crazy about this girl. And she just jerked the rug out from under me and said goodbye one day. And I didn't, I was completely blindsided and I had no idea that that was coming. Cause I, I thought things were going great. <laughs> and so my whole world just fell apart. I was such, I was so devastated. I lost my job. I was completely non-functionalized and I, I just woke up one morning and, and I'm a mess. I'm going, I need professional help. <laughs> and so I, I looked up, uh, I went out and just looked up and found a, a therapist and went to them and um, went in and I, and he said, so, uh, so he started talking, I started talking about this and, and, and I'm going, you know, I just don't know what to do with this. And he goes, you realize you're making a fist. And I had my hand down by my stomach and he's going, you know, as you're doing this talk, 
you're making a fist down by your stomach. And I, and I didn't realize that. No, this was, so this was a somatic reference that coat that, that therapist was directing me to my hand. And I was doing this unconscious behavior. My body was making a fist and I was talking, telling a story. So I didn't realize what was going on. And here's did a, a smart thing by saying, what's, what's going on with your hand? I go, I don't know. And he goes, well, let's just take a moment and let's get mindful. And I knew what mindful was. And he said, so pay attention to your hand. And if your hand could say something, what's going on there? And that led to an, an entire, uh, opening in me where I began to discover that how angry I was, not only about this relationship, but about a whole lot of other things. Back, remember the analogy about the floors in my life? I began to become aware of some anger on floor two and floor one in my life where I had really discovered, you know, I had suppressed a lot of things. And it, and this opportunity, my and my subconscious was using this opportunity as a way to pile all of it on. It's like, so it's not just the breakup. It was like all this other stuff was saying, well, we're just going to, we're just going to ride this train. And suddenly I'm going, no, it, I'm so overwhelmed with all this experience. And that's why I was such a wreck. It was not only the, the relationship, but it was all this other stuff piling on, but I didn't know it. It all felt like the relationship, but actually you begin to unpack that. And it was a lot of other stuff too. So the breakup had to happen in order for you to deal with the inner traumas right. that have been piling up. And it was just like in a bomb that just went off. It was, but the beautiful part about it is we were able to slow down that explosion and go, Oh, Oh, here's the con. Here's what the content of that bomb is. Here's what's going on. And that opened my eyes. And I said, I don't know what this pay attention to this hand thing is called. What do you call that? And he goes, Oh, it's a Comey. I learned it from this guy here in town. I said, I don't know what that is, but I have to know everything there is to know about that. And I just felt like that was, that is what I need to learn to do. And so I went and I studied it. Fortunately, the guy who invented it was actually in the town I was in, Boulder, Colorado. And um, and that was started me on my my path to kind of do one-on-one -on -one work with people. And, and that led to another path, which is one on groups. And uh, there's another one, Pat Ogden, who who now does a lot of trauma work. She's, she started in that same school and she's kind of famous now for her work. Uh, so that led to group work, trauma work, all kinds of stuff uh, came out of that school. Wow. And I, I feel like intuitively that was, you know, the whole purpose to connect with your soul purpose of why mm -hmm. you came here is to experience that to be where you are now, which mm. is truly an amazing transformation. Mm. Thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. I feel blessed to have had the many great, several great powerful teachers. Um, but to my credit, and this is kind of, uh, I sought them out, you know, I kind of, like I said, I want to know about this and who is really good. And I'm going to go and I'm going to, find them and sit down and learn from them and said, sit at their feet and learn. So when I discovered, you know, the, this technique and I said, okay, so this is Ron. I'm going to go listen to him, see if it works. I said, okay, I want to know everything they got. And there were some other teachers there who were also really, really good. And I said, okay, I'm going to go put myself in their classes. I'm going to study it. I'm going to get what I can and figure this out. And so I really, really dove in, but I was pretty intentional about finding them and some other teachers in my life to help me um, fill in some blanks and get something that was really foundational. Wow. And, you know, listening to you and seeing you and watching you, it was like, you're a little kid. When you discovered <laughs> this, it was like a, like a breakthrough and you're like a little kid. I want to learn more about this. This is mm -hmm. cool. This is fascinating. Yeah. And then your intentions was because if this could help me, how many other people can it help? Right. Because I I have with I want to help people. You know, I want to help people. Like you're you're feeling like you want to help people wake up. Well, I do too. I want to help people understand who they are, and to connect with the truth of their experience, not just an idea of it. 
but the actual manifested truth of it. And um, there are things that help with that. And it's not just a, uh, you know, an idea. It's not just an idea. It's an actual experience of the truth of your, who you are. And when you do connect with that and you speak from that place and you act from that place, your world is better. And not only that, you make the world better. So yes. not, not only do you, does your experience become better, but you're manifesting in alignment with who you are. And so you become a lighthouse. You become a resource for other people. And when they interact with you, and this goes back to your energy um, uh, conversation, it's like when they interact with you energetically and empathetically, people feel you and that fires off their empathic systems to resonate with where you're at and it helps them become more of who they are just because they're interacting with someone who is authentic. And I'm truly grateful for that. I finally like had the aha God realization moment when I realized like, Oh, okay. I'm on for this. Let's go. Kind <laughs> of thing. Like I got to share this. It's like, you know, the, the, we have a false identity of who we are based on our upbringing you know, in, in aspects of religion. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my God, God, we got to get together. Like we're <laughs> dysfunctional family here. And, you know, and it, and it was like, don't, it was like my highest self was like, don't worry about it. Just keep doing what you're doing. They're, mm. they're going to connect. They're just speak your love express yeah. the love that is you when Beautiful. you can expand and express it people are going to connect to that and the healing and the miracles and the and the the awakening that they're going to receive is going to help and it's just going to keep going forward like a domino effect i'm like yeah okay. yeah <laughs> like i'm all for that you know yeah, that's exactly it right you have to you and this is where we're getting into the the resonant Resonance, right? So it's like you're you're in a place. I love what you said about speaking from that place, and and it's what I call inhabiting your authentic self. When you inhabit, and that authentic self is one that has this creativity, this love, this. You're in other words, your your authentic self. You could say is your divine self if you want to go there. It's kind of like that's that's truly. It, so we're a combination of human spirit human and spirit. And that's the unique thing about it. So I, for quite a while, I was doing this sort of out of, I don't want to say out of body, but very cosmic connected, you know, where it's like, it's all very blissful. And it's all very, you know, metaphysical. And I'm in the cosmos a lot. And then I spent a lot of time flipping that around, just being in the body. And I'm like, you know, much more grounded earth being, you know, earth-based being. But the truth is we're both. Right? Yes, we're spiritual, divine spiritual beings inside a having a human experience. That's it. Yeah, and so it doesn't. There's a whole school of thought. Well, you want to get rid of your earth form and become the spirit, and I say, okay, you can do that, and it's not a bad way to go. It's a very in the end, it becomes you're just kind of lightly touching the planet, you know, and then you can go back into the ether whenever you die. But guess what? It's likely to circle back around again. And there's a reason it did in the first place. So you might as well embrace that because there are things that you can do as a spirit in human form that you can't do just as a spirit. No. And you don't want to be a human without the spiritual awareness because eh, that is really not fun. <laughs> no. But there has been many, I would say, masters that and teachers that go back in history that were trying to teach and share sure. with others it some of them got crucified yeah. some of them got burnt some of them got tortured to death because of what they were trying to share with others which was sure. really the truth well people don't like to be told that they're limited you know the ego wants to believe that it's the boss, that it's the big thing. And so when you, so it's really easy to destroy 
it's really easy to hate. It's really super easy. That's the easiest thing for the nurse, nervous system to do, um, to like, you know, destroy, put down. It's simple. It's elementary. It's a low part of our neurology, meaning it's, you know, if I, if I can beat it up, I am more powerful and therefore I am the boss, right? It's like really low level brain functioning. So it's really easy to pick up a hammer and destroy something that took a century to build or a decade to build or a week to build. It, you know, it takes a lot of work to build things. It's easy to tear things down. So that's, that's always, that's always going to be the case in physical form. Um, right. And, and so it takes a lot of consciousness to say, no, I'm going to create rather than destroy as much as possible. And, and that's where, if we're going to get really in the spiritual framework, that's what converting your life into a lighthouse, so to speak, into a manifestation of something that elevates consciousness in others and helps the people as a whole, yourself and others, live a more connected moment-to-moment -moment experience. That's, that's as good as it gets. It's like being in, in the now moment. Like, yeah. I feel like I'm having an amazing experience being this moment now with you. No, oh, thank you. That's really beautiful. That, and that is a spiritual experience. And, and, and that in my, in my experience, when you're really laying in the now, and that's what Eckhart Tolle talks about all the time, right? And other, other mystics, and I consider myself, since we're going there, a mystic in that category, like really, really, truly, because I have been, I have studied with amazing spiritual masters. And if you distill it all down, the most important and highest spiritual question is, who am I now? Now. Right now. Not, well, today I feel like I'm going to be bothered. No. What's my experience now? And it's like, ah. There's a beautiful moment happening and I'm present for it. And when you connect to that, you become something bigger than your story. You become something bigger than whatever circumstances are limiting you or enhancing you because you become connected to the truth of the manifestation of creation in the moment. And that's all there ever is. And you know what you said, who am I just a moment ago? And um, a great mentor, Dr. Wayne Dwyer, mm -hmm. I listened to him. And, you know, some of my meditations includes, you know, listening to him and I have conversations with him. <laughs> I feel like I channel him sometimes. I'm like, hey, Wayne, what about uh, da, 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 da. And <laughs> he'll send me a YouTube video on that topic. And I'm like, mm. oh, okay. And you know, he, he does That's an angel. about who am I change the, who am I to, I am mm -hmm. the, I am that I am, mm -hmm. which is written in many historical books. Yep. There is a misunderstanding about that. We are, I am the essence of God. Yeah experiencing life and expressing ourselves yeah literally that when yeah. i connected to wait a minute i'm not just a divine spiritual being i am a goddess i am god in this human form experiencing life together mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. exactly that and if i don't like my experience i have the power to change it <sighs> Pretty wow, amazing. what a concept. <laughs> yeah. So when you connect to the moment, all of that just is apparent, so to speak. And, and I don't mean intellectually. It becomes something you experience. And that's, that's the difference. But going back to all this kind of lofty talk, what makes that awareness possible is the practice of mindfulness. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's why I... I, I don't hang out there foundationally with people because until you have the neurological capacity to become present with your experience, none of this stuff 
becomes even in the realm of possibility. And that's why there are actual things that you can do. This is where I differ a little bit with Eckhart Tolle, who says stuff like there's nothing you can do, you know, and I'm going, yeah, there are, because we're not all like Eckhart Tolle, which kind of goes like, you know, I'm, I'm this way and now, boom, I'm another way. It's more like um, there are steps and stages and you can take, you can do practices that over time improve your capacity to be present and out of time. You know, because when you're in the moment, you're kind of not in what Eckhart Tolle would say is clock time. You you become really, I mean, you always are because, you know, you're tick-tock, baby, we're getting older, right? But the 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 truth of it is there's another part of us that's timeless, and that's the yin-yang. We live in both this timeless dimension, and we also live in physical time simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Most people are connected to the time-bound world all the time and they're not really connected to this more spacious moment come ironically that that bigger non-time bound thing is actually the now right and it's eternal the eternal now uh, and but in the moment it's always like oh the past and the future and it's necessary you can't say that's bad you have to well i want to get on a plane it's going to be at 10 o'clock in the morning i have to get in a car you have to you you have to deal with that stuff but you want to be conscious of the duality of our experience and that to me is the master class of being human it's like being present with our duality well, being, you know, recognizing and acknowledging, okay, I am a divine spiritual being. And then, you know, to me, there's, I saw this thing on, I think it was Instagram or Facebook, where it says, um, do not be alarmed. If you see me talking to myself, I'm getting the best damn advice. <laughs> And I'm like, you know, I do that. I talk to myself in the car, you know, when I'm in the bathroom. It's like I'm connecting and communicating with my higher self. Right. Help me in, okay, this is happening. I'm experiencing this. So what is the best scenario to this to where, you know, one, I don't want to have to repeat it. And two... I want to respond in such a way that it gives me the best results. Yes. Yes, exactly that. And that's part of being the mindful of, you know, when things come up, how do do not react, respond. How do I want to respond? Well, that, that, that's so key. What you just said is do not react. That's the executive function of the brain interrupting the impulse to be reactive. Most people that I encounter have never done the work of creating that spaciousness to not be reactive. And that is where the freedom to be more mindful, to be more present, to be, to, to create a, a Victor Frankl said it. And there's a famous quote by him, which says, you know, this, the, the space between to paraphrase the space between stimulus and response is where our freedom lies. And, Mindfulness is about creating more of that space so that you can go, oh, well, here's what happened. And what I want to do is yell, are you crazy? Get out of here. You're nuts. But maybe there's a better way. Maybe there's some other thing I could say or do or be. And then in in that space, then maybe I look at the person and I see, you know, that person looks really stressed out. I'll bet you that they're experiencing kind of a, a lot of stress and rather than me taking that on, I could, one of the things I could say is, this really matters to you, huh? Now, that's a, that's a Hakomi technique. That's called a context. You're, you're contacting their emotions rather than reacting to what they said. You say, that's really matters to you. Yeah, this matters. This is important. Don't you know? And, and, and because you did this, it's messing up this outcome for me that I was really, that really wanted to all right, well, you know what? I want that too. So let's figure out how we can work this together. So suddenly, instead of being in conflict, you're in connection because you connected to their feelings rather than reacted to their accusation. Now, obviously, that's not going to work in every case, but it is on the realm of things that become possible 
only because you had this spaciousness. And that becomes possible because you practice mindfulness. Yeah. And with everything that's been going on, people are just so, they're so disconnected. Yep. And I'm like, <laughs> wait a minute. What happened to it's okay to disagree kind of thing? <laughs> like, okay, I disagree with you. And, you know, but that's my choice. I don't have to believe everything that you say or believe everything that I see. It's just now yeah. it takes practice of being the observer, yeah, that's which is part of being mindful. And I just quietly say and smile at the, you know, people that I disagree with. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Oh, where did you come up with that? Well, mm. blah, 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 blah. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, I saw it on YouTube. Must be true. Or, or I Googled it. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm like, really? Or it's in that good book Bible. The Bible is the word of God. I'm like. Oh, so that's what you believe? <laughs> and that's what you believe. Well, mm. who told you to believe that? Mm. Yeah. Think about where your beliefs come from and how is that working out for you, by the way? <laughs> Too and many questions. Looked, <laughs> you know, now I've looked up the history because I was I'm just like, where did the religion originate? Where was it created? Yeah. And I, I went on that journey and I'm still on that journey and I've been finding some very like alarming historical facts. And I was mm -hmm. like, Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. I was brought up in the Baptist church and I, oh, I, you and me went, yeah. So I went through a similar sort of process where I started, you know, where did this, where did this actual writing happen? You know, and then I'm, and then I'm discovering details like, the paper is centuries older than Christ himself. So the oldest known books is, are written on paper that's actually older than Christ. And if that's the oldest known book, that means that the text that we're reading from was created centuries after Christ was born. So how is this like the original text? Well, we don't ask questions like that. We just have faith. And I'm going, but the truth, this is about the truth, right? So where's the truth? And There can't be a difference between the truth and science. Because science is the pursuit of truth. Can't and you be. know what? I question, okay, so, okay, the Old Testament is separate from the New Testament. And I'm like, the, you know, like books now gives you the year, the da-da-da-da, when things happen. In that Bible, there is no year of, you know, such as <laughs> 300 BC, you know. And now they change it to current era, BCE, current era. And I found documents that I'm like cross-referencing. I'm like, oh, this happened in this time period because I was just like, you know, in the book of Genesis, there's only Adam and Eve. And um, there was this thing about Cain and Abel and Cain killed Abel. He got exiled, uh, but then he came back with a wife. Where did that wife come from? <laughs> well, there's so that many. Years. I mean, you can, you can go down a big, we can spend all month on this. You know, <laughs> it's, it's like there's a gigantic amount. You know, the, the, the books of the Bible were assembled by people that weren't the apostles a well, long time after who decided this is in, this is out, this is in, this is out. And, you know, there's a whole lot of stuff that went on there that, that people just kind of gloss over. And, and now there's like hundreds of Bibles. Which one is the real one, you know? You go to the store and there's like hundreds then, of them. You know, I'm, I'm being intuitive. I channel spirits. And I've been channeling. Yes, I noticed. <laughs> <laughs> these ancient civilizations that I'm speaking this language and I have no clue what I'm saying. And I'm like, man, I channel so well speaking their language, but I don't... I can't even speak, you know, like Spanish, French, <laughs> Italian that I want to speak. How is that? But it's funny because I came across the, the Sumerian writings, Cuneiform mm. forms, and then there's the Emerald Tablets, and then um, Gilgamesh and all these other writings like, whoa. That is yeah. so fascinating. And and I'm getting bits and pieces of hearing and feeling truth from those writings. And I yeah. it's just mind-blowing. I'm like, hello, why aren't people waking up? 
I've never <laughs> come out of the United States. So I've always been drawn to parts of Asia, parts of Egypt, and um, yeah. India. And India, yeah. So I feel like I was there in a past life and I've yep. experienced things. And now I'm here in this present moment. My soul doesn't know really the difference. It re just remembers everything that I've experienced many lifetimes over. And there's really no such thing as the past, the present, and the future. They're all simultaneous. That's what I'm now connecting. Like they're all together. Yeah. About <laughs> linear, but it's all together. Yeah, it is. It's, <laughs> it's just changing forms. That's it. Yeah, it's interesting because people talk about reincarnation, and I'm of the opinion that you know you can reincarnate into the past just as well as the future. You know, it's like wow, because, because it's all the same, right? Yeah. So it's kind of like people people think about oh well, next time, and I'm going well, you might be going, you might jump back, you know, it's two or three centuries or a hundred years or a thousand years. Who knows? So I don't know, but it's but it's an interesting idea because quantum from the quantum physics point of view, it's a mystery why we can't change the past. Wow. But see what it's part of that, you know, the law of attraction is you plant the seed. Sometimes it's in your thought. Then you add the emotion and the feeling to it and then you make a action. So whatever you do now, it will harvest. It could take three years, five years, 10 years. It will come. Yeah, well, you're you're what you're sort of like when you're talking like that, you're sort of like saying, how do I cast a spell, right? That attracts, that has a frequency or resonance that pulls something to it in the future, right? To me personally, that's a little bit risky business because I wonder about, I worry when I hear people involved with that about trying to bring into form um, their desires that aren't necessarily coming from the highest place in them. And so, so well, what people have been doing that look, I mean, come on, <laughs> but they use it in a different intention. That's not pure coming out of well, love. Yeah. It's kind of like, well, what I, I want, I, I want a million dollars in my bank account. So I'm going to conjure money. And, and I, you know, for me, if people want to do that, that's okay with I would prefer that in my own practice, it's more like what's in my highest need and I hold space for who I am connecting to this upper lower kind of vibe. And I just let it all be what it is. And whether it feels good or it feels bad, having this compassionate, open acceptance, what I call up and down the stack. And that means like the, the, you know, the divine aspects as far as high as that goes or whatever is involved and the lower aspect and just let it all be true and try to get my consciousness around relaxing, not trying, but just relaxing and letting it, just letting and allowing. And then if there's a wish in there, I just am like, is this, is it, can this is it possible? Like, is there a need? Like I need for uh, some healing to come into my life and hold space for the wish for that healing. And then just let yourself feel that wish and then let go of it. And as if it were like a, um, a, a, an offering or a gift or a wisp of smoke that ascends into the cosmos without the desire to like pull it back and make it be manifest, let it go. And then it will return if it is in your highest need. It's just, it's part of the creating part where, okay, you think of the thought of like transforming and becoming the best version of you, who you want to become, you know, what does that look like? What does it feel like? And just hold on to that feeling, that energy of what it looks like, feels like, and like, okay, this is what I choose to become. This feels amazing. And then just 
surrender it, let it go. And then things and people and opportunities come to help you, guide you to become that person. Yeah. So, become what you want to do. Yeah. So you connect to the, the thing for me is to connect to the feeling of more wholeness. Right. And so that leads to the appropriate aligned activity and engagement. So when I connect to, rather than saying, for me, this is my own practice, rather than saying, I wanted to look like this and feel like this, this is the way, rather than me figuring that out, go, who am I? What's true for me? What's in my heart and soul? And what's in my heart and soul is this person who wants to be a, a loving, compassionate, clarifying force in the world. And when I connect to that, that is who I am. So if I if I'm thinking I want to be a certain way, I just want to be myself. I just want to be who I already am. And I just become a process of remembering. So if I'm if I get disconnected, what my practice is just a matter of remembering oh, who am I? Oh, I'm this one. I'm this this guy. Who, I want to be this one. That's really who I am. And, and that's the way I act then or more, you know, hopefully, because I'm simply recalling. And that practice of being mindful, coming back to that, coming back to that, coming back. To that. Some kind of something comes up, upsets you. Well, I'm going to, this isn't right. And I'm going to make it. And you get all, and maybe, you know, there is importance to, to act in the name of justice, but I'm going to try to do it from a place of embodied truth about my own compassion, awareness, and understanding of engagement so that I'm not pulled out into a world of the, the difficulty with having a vision that you haven't achieved is it disconnects you from your moment because your satisfaction is in the future. Right. That's what Eckhart Tolle says, like, give all that up because you any idea about what I may become and land in who you are, because if you're thinking about what I will do, your satisfaction is not in the now. And if you just become present, who you are blossoms and then that makes the future that you want already here <laughs> well i also go by i have this thing be it to see it what was that again be it to see it be it to see it exactly like, this is who i choose to become but then i have to practice rehearse it and then it's like then it's like i'm i'm it you become it you in the moment yeah, you become you that you are that because you just made space for it to manifest. And it becomes not something that's in the future anymore. It's now. It always manifests now. All manifestation is always now. Wow. I I love having these kind of conversations with people like you. It just lights me up. <laughs> so do you, uh, I do believe you have a book coming out. Well, I'm working on it. Yeah, it's in the second edit right now. And I hope it'll be a couple of uh, months out. It'll be called The Language of Mindfulness. Um, and so if people are interested, they can sign up on my newsletter at the, the languageofmindfulness.com. And that's it's where in my... the description notes, everybody. So just take, you know, scroll down, you'll find it. And there's other information about you, Brett Hill. And thank you for everything that you do mm. in order to help others. It's truly, it's like, I feel like I'm, I'm connecting with the parts of my family that are wanting <laughs> to, you know, their heart and their intentions is pure. And we're, we're at this time in history that we're here to start the process of the awakening of human beings. Yep. That's it, exactly. And I get to join people like you, and it's truly an honor and pleasure. 
Well, it's a privilege to be here, and I and I appreciate you reaching out to me and and your enthusiasm and your passion and your connection and your you know desire to light up the world. And I let me know any way I can help because we need more of you in the world. I will definitely stay in contact with you. Thank you so much again. It truly was a pleasure having this moment with you. Thank you so much. Well, there you go. Be mindful in every moment and that will help transform your life. You have to get better first before you can help the world and it's a journey it's an adventure and if you want to reach out to brett just i have all the information right below in the description notes reach out he's here to help too not just me we're all in this together to help awaken educate evolve transform and become the best version of you so you can live your best life now so you never know who I'm going to get on this show. So tune in to Wake Up With Casey.